Time now to talk Baylor football, Baylor BYU, and Big 12 football with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. The Big 12 and the Pac-12 commissioners meeting. What does that mean for the Utes going forward? David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio in Waco, Texas, and Sikkim365.com for those of you who want to check him out online. He joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. David, good morning. Hey, guys. How we doing? Good morning. Hope you're having a great morning. We are, and i got to imagine you're surprised to find out how interested everybody is in Utah, to find out what you know about Baylor football, which we'll get to in a minute, and the future of the Big 12, which is, I guess, where we'll start. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, because we're, we're interested in what's going on in, uh, in Provo or Salt Lake City or in, uh, you know, uh, Tempe or even in Orlando with UCF and we've kind of dialed around you know we had Jake on to kind of get a perspective of Brigham Young because everyone's kind of saying okay so what and how does this all work and are some people that have been left out team programs whatever before does this give them another shot or are they interested I, I got to tell you the last two weeks and I've done this for 40 years the last two weeks I've never seen such an explosion of interest and we've been through realignment. We've been through a lot to cover uh, good, bad, and the ugly. And, and this has been unbelievable because of just the, the bombshell of when that report came down two weeks ago today. So what's the mood around Baylor? Is there a sense of nervousness or what? Yeah, no, there's, there's – uh, people can put on a strong face. I, we interview Mac Rose, the director of athletics, usually every Tuesday – uh, and, and we were going to have him on Monday, but they had that huge long to the point where it, it's just politics uh, in a theater on Monday in the Texas Senate. But, oh, yeah, there's it, it, the range of emotions. There's the excitement, honestly, of something new, although we don't know. I say we. I'm not a Baylor. I, I cover Baylor. Uh, and then there's the, oh, my God, we, we've been through this before and always survived Baylor in the years when the Big 12 was formed and then when there was realignment talk with Texas and Oklahoma. We're talking to others, and they always survive. And some of it's been because they have great political clout. And then at the same time, some of it has been because of timing. Uh, there's, there's, there's the gambit. I mean, it's like the exhilaration of victory that there might be something new that is fresh that keeps them a power five. And then there's the my God, we might end up being a group of five, and, and our budget has slashed 70% of what we're getting right now on television. So is there uh, – have people already moved on, or is there a lot of anger at Texas and Oklahoma? Or they've already moved on to the future? Well, I think there's always been kind of a distrust or an anger when it comes to Texas. And, you know, I mean, Texas here's, – here's who Texas is, and they don't mind telling you they're the big, rich – bully and they like to make sure you know it and they don't mind telling you that and then of course when you say that they're like oh my god we're only doing what's best for us and and whatever else and that's fine i listen baylor fans and others the remaining eight they understand that the conference right now is uh, is i think tenuous uh, i don't know if the word fragile i think that could be a little bit overreaction they understand the power i mean even bob bowlsby admitted on monday that 50% of the television value, the network, the television uh, revenue stream, 
50% of it is probably tied to Texas and Oklahoma. So then you go up, oh, my God, how are we going to replace that if you can? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, I think, I think there's the initial bitterness, anger, but I got to tell you guys, um, even though, you know, we know about the history, the tradition, the image and all that in Texas just had an incredible year with athletics. Their football team for 10 years has been sporadic at best. Baylor's won five of the last 10, although they've lost four of the last five. And Texas has everything. They have the money. They have the, the alumni base. They have the image. They have the logo. They have all of that. And yet, for some reason, their football program can't seem to get out of its own way. And so, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be always a little bit. And here's the thing about Texas, and it was a quote the day that all this went down or the day or two after when someone in Texas is, I don't know if it was administration, athletics, whatever, when they said, well, don't you feel a little bit bad about the eight teams or do you feel about, how do you feel about the eight teams who are left hanging? And the quote was, well, honestly, we don't give a damn. And that's really the way they have always been. Here's one of the things that kind of I think is frustrating when I look at it this way. They're leaving for what is already a great conference, and that's going to stabilize their business. It's going to stabilize. Well, Texas already makes more money than anybody else, spends more money than anybody else. But the question I think is valid. Yes, they propped up the other teams. There's no question. No one's ever denied that. No team has ever said, we can do this without you. But why not go ahead and find a way to make where you are, where you're the flagship uh, program, why don't you make your conference better? And Texas seems to be in the middle of always not happy or it's not good enough. Well, sometimes you got to look at the people in the mirror, and that might be yourself if if you're your team. How much of the remaining eight united together, or is it fractionalized with the Kansases and the remaining Baylor, Texas Tech, whatever it might be? Uh, it, you know, there was a report that was flying around yesterday, and of course, be careful of reports wherever they might come, because if you look back, guys, two weeks ago today at about 2.30, Brett Zerneman had the story that rocked college football, right? And nothing, nothing has changed since then, other than it's now official that Texas and Baylor are going to leave, they were officially invited, they were officially officially accepted, and they're talking in legal terms, well, we are going to leave after the grant of rights in 24-25. I think that, you know, if you're West Virginia, you've kind of been isolated on this island, but West Virginia has enjoyed the relationship with the Big 12. We've had their president uh, on many times, uh, a handful of times. I think I think Iowa State, Kansas State. I think, I think they're, they're going to be. There's Baylor, TCU. I think they're probably taking or listening a little bit. But I, I, I think you, you know, when you hear the float, Kansas and the Big Ten, is that true, or is that somebody who's trying to break apart the Big Twelve? And we know what Bob Bowlesby insinuated. Well, hell, he accused ESPN of working against the conference to try to split it up, and that's why you had the cease and desist. I think all eight understand their best chance for survival, period. Yes, somebody else might reach out, flirt with you, offer you at least a talk at the table. The best way for those eight remaining teams to survive is by staying together and ensuring that if Texas and Oklahoma do leave before the grant of rights, they're going to get a big check. And if they don't leave, well, they're, they're set for at least the next four years. Now, that doesn't mean they don't need to look at options. But I think that if they stay together, and I do think 
you know, if somebody fractures off, okay, well, that could lead to two or three others. But the conference stays in existence based on their bylaws, even if there was, like, one team left. Really. I mean, like, one team can still be left, and they're going to get the grant of rights. But if you're one of the teams of the eight guys that want to leave, guess what you have to do? You have to pay for whatever's left on the contract grant of rights, which is what Texas and Oklahoma are probably going to try to legally get out of part of that, negotiate out of that. And these eight teams have said, we're not going to let that happen. So even if somebody wants to leave, they themselves face the same penalties and will also then have to write a big check. And I think none of them can afford to do that, especially among the remaining eight. So the Pac-12 and the Big 12 commissioners meet, and they talk for six hours, and they don't want to talk what they talked about. What do you think they talked about, and what makes the most sense for Baylor? What would Baylor people be pulling for? I, you know, obviously, there's, there's a lot of philosophical, uh, you know, we know how the Pac-12 looks at schools with religion. Um, uh, Baylor and TCU uh, are both private religious schools, although TCU has backed away a little bit from even calling themselves Texas Christian University. It's more TCU. Baylor's very proud of their mission statement and who they are and what they represent, and that might be a turnoff to some of the institutions in the Big 12. Obviously, Baylor would love to see. I think what in the if you were to look at it, based on two weeks of people talking about this, they would love to see Brigham Young or UCF Memphis, someone like that, a Cincinnati, at least be available or be interested. And then I think there's always been this eye on the schools in Arizona. And by the way, I'm saying Utah, if in fact somehow the Pac-12 was to do something with the Big Ten, of course, those are just rumors. Uh, I think right now, I think if they could just come out of the next, let's say, few months with a scheduling alliance with the Pac-12, that brings in more money. Whoever they're going to pay, who's going to pay them, I don't know. I think the, if the Pac-12, whoever's left, can come up with something like that, that at least shows that there's a foundation of a relationship, whether it's USC or it's Oregon or whoever it might be, and, and, and the big eight teams or the big 12 teams of the eight remaining. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to be possible for the Pac-12 to look at the eight teams. We know about the Tier 1. There's like a couple of those teams that are Tier 1. And some of them, again, it's just a philosophical or political thing that it's not going to be acceptable in certain ways. So I think what you would love, this is me, you'd love to have Brigham Young and UCF, two very, very good independent, although UCF's a part of a program, I always think of them almost as independent, and then grab a couple of the Arizona schools. Well, the problem with that is is that we don't know, and nobody knows if the Arizona schools are interested in, in, in leaving what they have. And if that fractures, then maybe they would be. The one thing that Texas schools bring to the table is the footprint in the state of Texas with all of the talent that along with California, Ohio, probably like Florida and Georgia, have as much high school talent in numbers as anybody. And so if that's of interest to some of the schools in California or the the Pac-12, then there is some value there. The Dallas and Fort Worth Houston markets are controlled by usually Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and A&M. And so I don't know if they can, you know, if that brings too much to a, a network that, hey, we need to get into those markets. Baylor and Texas Tech have strong ties into the Dallas and Fort Worth market, but not as large as Oklahoma, Texas, A&M, and Texas. So I don't know. If, I, don't, I hope I'm giving you an answer by giving you scenarios. 
But uh, I think any kind of a scheduling allowance alliance might be at least the start of a let's build this thing from the ground up. There's a little bit of time. There's not a lot of time, but there's a little bit of time to do that. So this kind of pales in comparison, but I'm wondering how many people now with all this other stuff going on care about who's going to replace Charlie Brewer at quarterback. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the uh, – first of all, I love Charlie Brewer. I I, I love that kid. Uh, he took a beating in his years at Baylor. Last year was hard. The offense was a wreck. I, I have at times been bludgeoned by fans about trying to defend Charlie Brewer. I, I, I love Charlie Brewer, so good luck with him in Utah. I love that kid. He's been amazing. Um, but, yeah, no, we – Baylor opens up their, their fall workouts later this week. I think it's Friday. I believe it's Friday. And we have not taken a call in the two weeks since the Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC story popped. We have not taken a single call about a position, about a player, about the offense or the defense, anything when it comes to Baylor football. And that says quite a bit about what's been on the forefront. Now, that's going to change, and we're going to go and make sure we get into that again. But it's almost been like shoved to the corner, whether it's Jacob Zeno, uh, Gary Bohannon, or whoever might be the starting quarterback at Baylor. Because right now, I don't think Baylor knows. So, Baylor-BYU, it's midseason. We'll know more by then. It seems like a little bit of a mystery. Does that, uh, how do Baylor fans look at that game? Does that game seem like a problem? I, well, I mean, obviously, one of the things that even when Baylor was starting to play, compete, and win Big 12 titles under the Art Bryles teams, and they were highly ranked a lot, and even in the college playoff discussion in 2014, it might have been other than an injury to their quarterback in 15, their non-conference schedule was easy to pick apart. It was not very good. It was not at a level of very good. Uh, it, it was something that was always in the discussion. It was something that hurt them. But I'm telling you right now, having Brigham Young and eventually Utah and Auburn and others on their schedule as a non-conference game on games, it is for Baylor fans an unbelievable refreshing and exciting thing because, yeah, they could get drilled. Brigham Young's good. Utah's good. Uh, Auburn's good. But if you're going to get into the next level, and of course with realignment, who knows what all of this means, if whatever else happens, Baylor fans are thrilled that the schedule has been juiced up. You know, last year, guys, they were going to open up with Ole Miss. COVID knocked that out. That would have been one of their best non-conference games in a decade or so. They, you know, they played Duke. They played some teams, a lot of them, you know, that are kind of similar. And, and, then, and I understand that. They can't go start. They can't go play Southern Cal, Brigham Young, and Alabama. And nobody can in their non-conference games. Nobody would. But they just haven't had a very strong non-conference schedule. And for me, as someone who covers them, I can't wait. You know, this is how you find out who you are, not just because of what you do against uh, Oklahoma or against this year Iowa State the last couple of years. They've been good, and Baylor beat them a couple of years ago. I mean, I'm, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad that they've changed their non-conference philosophy because, quite frankly, it, was, it really was it was really kind of a, 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 a whatever you want to call it. It was, it was a negative, a huge negative. It hurt them. It hurt them a lot. And I can't wait for that game, no matter the outcome, just because it's kind of a it's kind of a nice little big boy non conference game. 
So BYU lost their coordinator and their offensive line coach to Baylor, and those guys all yep. offense. And Jeff Grimes, an old offensive lineman himself, and an offensive line take pride in running the ball. Baylor sucked at running the ball last year. They're going to be better. Yeah, and sucked might be a positive word compared <laughs> to what word I would use. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? No. I, 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 it's true. I mean, it. it I mean, uh, it was embarrassing. They couldn't push anybody off the line. And they, I'm telling you, second and two, they had to throw the ball. Third and one, they're going to punt. It was awful. And the year before, of course, they they weren't great at running the football, but they had like an extra five or six hundred yards, seven hundred yards running the ball um, uh, than than the than last year. Uh, it was. It also was another reason for Charlie Brewer to take a beating because it didn't matter if you play action. What are they going to take? A play action pass? Okay, they're not running the ball, or they can't. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, we have been very impressed with what we've seen and heard from obviously Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos. Uh, it's a great combination. Mateos is nuts, and that's good. Uh, I've talked to him a couple of different times. He told me that the offensive line, now last year, I'm talking about they have some new guys as well, that the offensive line issue is not so much talent. It's almost an attitude. It's a commitment, which kind of makes you think, are they physically and mentally tough enough to, to be a part of the grind, you know, the physicality of being on the offensive line? It can't get any worse. You say that, then if it's as bad, then it's worse, I guess. But I think that uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, they've taken a linebacker who was an all-state running back in high school who was playing linebacker and turned him back into a running back as a one-cut kind of the wide zone that they're going to run. And, and, and he's kind of given them a little bit of oomph. They have the All-American kick returner that's kind of a, a dual-threat running back in Tristan Ebner. Maybe that gets him out in the open more often. But until I see it, until I actually see them on first and 10 get five yards, four yards, and three yards, whether it's back-to-back-to-back or they convert third and two with a running play, until I see it, I think it's going to be interesting. Until I see it, I won't believe it. But I do do believe in what Grimes and Mateos are bringing to the table. David Smoke, host of... Sikkim 365 Radio, Waco, Texas, joining us. All right, that's a lot of football. One basketball question before we let you go. The Jazz get Jared Butler with the 40th pick in the draft. What can you tell Jazz fans, which is all Uton Cougar fans, except for a few BYU fans from L.A.? (laughs) What can you say about Jared Butler? I I know what I said about Charlie Brewer, and take whatever I said about Charlie Brewer, the person, the competitor, times whatever you want with Jared Butler – we had the opportunity. I had a chance to talk to him when he was cleared the health issue. Uh, uh, that there was a little bit of a concern about the heart, and, and that's why he also left Alabama because they wouldn't clear him. And all of a sudden, here's Baylor, who had been recruiting him. He ends up being a Naismith finalist. We know about the national championship. He is smooth as silk. He is, you know, you, his facial expressions rarely ever change. He's a silent assassin, and I'm telling you, another guy. Don't you have Macy Oteague playing with that summer league team as well? Yes. Uh, that kid right there never got enough of the respect that he, that Jared deserved and earned, that Davion Mitchell now with Sacramento earned, but Macy Oteague is just someone that just 
keeps making plays. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to translate in the NBA. But I saw some highlights last night. Looked like he was doing okay. You guys will love both of them as people. And I know it matters of what they do on the court. I'm telling you right now, those guys are good. And I would not be surprised if Macy will surprise some people. I know it's a numbers game, but you see, you know the kind of guy that Royce O'Neal is. And I know, again, it's all about production. They are good people. You'll never have to worry about them. And they're also damn good basketball players. David, we appreciate the time and all the energy and enthusiasm. And we'll remember the running game that, uh, you know, sucked was a nice version of what they did. <laughs> Hey, the running game was a four-letter word in Waco, Texas last year. I don't know what it's going to be this year. But, I, man, I, by the way, I had a chance. I know you got to go. I'm talking too much. That's what happens when you get out of the talk show guy on. But uh, I had Christensen on. Uh, really liked him, too, man. That was another hellacious uh, player from Brigham Young. Really liked him a lot. And, uh, and I hope he does well in the NFL. But hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you. And I can't wait to see that game later on this year with Brigham Young. David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio in Waco, Texas. You can check him out at Sikkim365.com as well. That's what happens when you have a radio guy on. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really understand it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Good one. All right, DJ and PK will get you up to speed. All the stuff you've missed in this show. The Jazz, the Cougars, and yes, some of the Utes too. That's next. Stay with us.